with that, let's turn to our scripture for this morning. Uh, we're continuing our relationship series. We're going to be talking about marriage. This is Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Uh, this is a fun one. All right. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Well, it's on days like these that you know we preach the whole counsel of God. We get into all of it. And actually, in all seriousness, I am really excited to get into this text because while it's very often been misinterpreted and misused down the years, uh, it's a tragic effect that we need to really think about uh, as, as followers of Christ. What is, was originally intended and what is intended for us today through this uh, wonderful text is of profound importance. Uh, in terms of its wisdom, in terms of its practicability, in terms of helping marriages thrive. And I think right now, in this cultural moment, marriages could use all the help they could get. I mean, marriages took a massive hit during the pandemic. I mean, if you think about it, the last few years, with all the stresses and pressures and strains that just hit every aspect of life and every almost every conceivable relationship that we're in, how much more so would that have impacted marriages? I mean, marriages by definition are as linking of a relationship as it comes. I mean, in the very first uh, few pages of the Bible, when we have that first marriage in, in the book of Genesis, talks about how we are to become, we, we will become one flesh. So think about that. With all the pressures and stresses that we face in the middle of a pandemic, all the struggles and hardships, we aren't just carrying our own in marriage, we're also carrying the others. And so there's like a compounding effect. And, and then on top of that, you have canceled vacations. You probably have some, uh, you, you might have some kids in there. And if you do, that's like a grenade in that kind of dynamic. A couple of you guys are laughing a little too hard. I see laughing on the outside, crying on the inside. And in lack of uh, community in the midst of all that, a little bit of isolation, uh, we can kind of talk about it at the high level, but in the, in the grassroots of it, where the rubber hits the road, marriages have taken a hit over the last few years. And by the way, I can just affirm all of that anecdotally as a pastor, knowing just conversations I've had with folks, conversations I've had with other pastors of other congregations. We need to be thinking about marriages right now. And by the way, if you're here today and you are not married, this is for you as well. We need to think about marriage, whether you're in it now or you're thinking about it in the future. We need to understand how to, how to thrive in marriage. The whole reason we did this series, or a big part of doing this series, I should say, this relationship series that we're calling 
restoring relationship goes back to something we, we talked about at the turn of the year. Some of you guys were here, maybe you remember this thought, but Cindy had attended a, uh, a group gathering of, of other uh, executive pastors and uh, executive directors in the area of, of larger churches. And they had, they had called out that experts have been saying the year of 2021 is, has essentially been the year of resignation. And it almost certainly seems they were saying that the year of 2022 will then become a, re, uh, a year of separation. Now, some of that has to do with the workplace, but that kind of thinking, that kind of mindset is not just in the workplace. It spans all areas of life where you live. It's like, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. I got I to get out of here. It also impacts relationships. Some folks are going to be very tempted if you're not already there, just to be like, you know what, this relationship, that relationship, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Well, if there's any relationship worth fighting for, or if you're in a good season, married couples, worth strengthening, it's your marriage. And so we're going to talk about that today, looking at this oft-misunderstood text, but profoundly helpful. And specifically, we're going to be looking at uh, foundational tools for an enduring and growing mar marriage. Foundational tools for an enduring and growing marriage. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so our text today begins in verse 21, where Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so right off the bat, we're going to address something here that has brought a lot of pain and, and a lot of this misinterpretation of, the, of this text down the years to, to, to bad, ill, ill effects. Uh, if you look at the next verse, this is the one that, uh, of course, perks up modern ears. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, uh, su submit yourselves to your, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And we're going to talk about that. But one of the major problems we see here with this text and understanding that verse is it's often read without the first verse setting it in its contextual place. Are you following with me? So one of the things we don't often consider is that Bible translators have to make a lot of decisions when it comes to translating a Bible. Okay, obviously they need to make decisions about like, you know, the original source word of, of in this case, Greek to our English. They're making those decisions. But they're also making decisions in, term, in terms of like thematic divisions of the scriptures. What do I mean by that? Uh, if you have an actual physical Bible, this is where it's a little easier to follow along. This is also in your phones. If not, you can just kind of track with what I'm saying. But uh, what it, almost every Bible, every modern day Bible has like little divisional breaks, right, in the scriptures. And actually, it's super helpful. So mine says for our text, uh, instructions for Christian households. And that goes from verse 21 of chapter 5 all the way to chapter 6, verse what, 9. Then we have the armor of God that, that carries on there. So they have to make this. We all know that Paul didn't go as he was writing this text. All right, now I'm going to do instructions for Christian household. Let me make a break. In fact, there were no, when in the original language, there's no gramma, like grammar or punctuation, I should say, at all. So you have to make decisions like what, what's being said, this or that. And one of the things that's interesting is a lot of new modern translations, in fact, I imagine some of yours here today, will make the decision, okay, I'm going to put this little header uh, right before verse 21, uh, 22, excuse me, where it says, why submit? That'll be the first verse we'll talk about, and 21 can go, go up. Fine. We could figure that context out for ourselves. But the problem is, a lot of people, it leads to confusion and not realize that this is where this is playing out. Are we, are we tracking? One more thought before we bring it together. The other thing about verse 22, where, uh, where it says, wives, submit to, uh, yourselves to your own husbands, is it is actually grammatic, grammatically borrowing the verb 
from verse 21. So the verb to submit is not actually in verse 22. Now, I think it's properly translated that way, but it's borrowing it from verse 21. Okay, why are we saying all this? It's to say we need to read this in this context. And what Paul is saying here, he's actually making a bigger thought. If you want to look at your scripture, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. That extends back up to verse 18, where he's talking about what it means as Christians to be filled by the Spirit. He lays out different things of what that means. And eventually he says, okay, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. By the way, that already includes husband in that mix. All Christians need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The first, and then he goes on to say, okay, here's some unique thoughts for, for marriages, and we'll unpack that in a second. But here, high level, what we see is what we see in a lot of places of Scripture is that Christian marriage is first and foremost a call to serve. At the high level, Paul is saying, you need to get this. Before we kind of break this down, and this is going to all play into this thought too, the call of Christian marriage is to serve. There's all sorts of places where the scriptures kind of point to this. But he's saying, in this setting, he's saying, submit yourselves out of reverence to Christ. Everybody be thinking about this, ways that you could submit to one another, serve, care, look to meet their needs together. The call of a Christian marriage is first and foremost to serve. And it's so important to understand this. If you've been coming to church, maybe you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I got it. It's called to serve. But think about that where the rubber hits the road. Do you really think about marriage that way? It's a call to serve? I don't think our culture does. In fact, I'm, I, I'll go on a limb here. I think our culture doesn't. It really doesn't. Uh, years ago, I remember this was when I was in seminary, about, about 2008 or so, uh, I came across an article in the New York Times, an op-ed piece called The Me Marriage. The Me Marriage. And in this piece, this author's was essentially saying, was essentially arguing, sure, in marriage, we need to make concessions. We need to make compromises. We need to do those things. But really, marriage at the end of the day needs to be about what's in it for me. Is my spouse, is my partner serving me? Are they taking care of my needs? And if they aren't, well then, maybe all bets are off. And there's a number of problems with that. But one of those being is if, if two people, two parties enter into marriage with that same kind of premise, uh, I don't... My humble understanding of human beings is that's not really going to ever work. But regardless, Paul, the scriptures are constantly saying, no, 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 no. Christian marriage is not a me marriage. It's a the other marriage. It's a call to serve. And so for those of you who are here and you are married, do you think of marriage that way? Is that your approach to marriage? How can I serve the other? And by the way, if your answer is hopefully sort of kind of, are you really, are, are you serving them for, for them and, and their needs? Does, does that make sense? Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, many of you probably are familiar with uh, Gary Chapman's uh, The Five Love Languages. You know that? You know, there's uh, acts of service, uh, words of affirmation, physical affection, that, that sort of stuff. Uh, what was profoundly helpful for me in thinking about that framework is that people are generally wired to receive and offer love in a certain way. So for instance, let's say your love language, to use this kind of framework, is words of affirmation. So you, 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 lo you feel love when people encourage you, say wonderful, maybe the right notes, and it's like, oh, that's really encouraging. And by the way, it's not black and white like that. Everybody receives it, love in all these ways. But let's say that's especially your love language. You're probably also going to naturally offer that 
love of encouragement to the other. And that might not be their love language. Is, that, is this making sense? So you might think, oh, okay, I'm just going to, I'm showering you with encouragement. And the other person, they don't realize this is happening. He's like, that's not love. That's not, are you following? Like we're talking about serving their needs, looking to their interests before your own. So, submitting to one another, our reverence for Christ in the marriage context means thinking about them, serving, serving them, caring, caring for them. And for those of you who are not married, thinking about this, are you living from a mindset or, or in, a, in a rhythm of serving others now? Because I'll tell you one thing. If, if you're thinking, if you're thinking that when you get married, then you'll flip a switch and start to like, okay, then I'll serve the other or whatever. I'll just say for myself, I, that's, you're in for a rude awakening. <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that as, as, I, see, as I see it. It works. We, we need to make the commitment now to start serving. And by the way, Verse 21 is not even really getting essentially into marriage yet. Anyhow, so we're, we're called to serve as brothers and sisters, and then it's going to play out in marriage. We need to look to serve. By the way, that inherently means, we'll talk about this more, sacrifice. So if all we're doing, say, in the church among brothers and sisters is saying, well, I'll serve you provided it works for me or it's good for me or works for my schedule or whatever the case may be, we're, we're, we're missing what Paul is saying to all of us, and we're going to especially miss that when it comes to marriage. Christian marriage is first and foremost a call to serve. All right, so the, fun, the foundational tools Paul offers to Christian husbands and wives are, are these. We see in verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So wives, submit. Husbands, love. What is Paul saying? What, what does he mean? I actually want to go down and look at verse 33 because in verse 33, excuse me, Paul makes kind of a summarizing statement that I think kind of pulls things together, helps us continue to understand what he's saying here. He says, each one of you, he's still talking about husbands at this point, each one of you husbands must also love his wife as he loves himself, and wives must respect her husband. There it is again. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit. Respect your husbands. Love and respect. Uh, about a decade ago, I came across a body of research that I thought was equal parts profoundly uh, surprising and also not. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Uh, there's this body of research that followed thousands of American couples over, over the years. So just a huge swath of, of, of people. And uh, from the time before they were married through the time when, sadly, uh, a good number of them were, were divorced, got divorced. And what they did was with the divorced couples, they asked them a question. They said, what was the, what was the key determining factor that led to you wanting to seek divorce? And uh, Want to guess what the husbands answered as the top answer? The husbands in this survey is the top answer. Not all of them answered this, but the top answer was a feeling of lack of respect. Feeling of lack of respect. You want to guess what the women top answer gave? They felt a lack of emotional connection with their husband. Now, are we saying all men have that as their top answer? All women have that as their top answer? Are we saying that men only ever, like they just need respect and not love, and women only need love and not respect? That's not what we're saying. That's not what Paul's saying. But I think what he's trying to say here is it, it will do you and me a good service if we understand ways in which we are uniquely wired. Because on the whole, men tend to feel a need for respect. On the whole... Women, women feel a need for connection, to be listened to and heard, to be loved for who they are. Again, I'm not trying to say women don't need respect and husbands ought not to respect. That's not what we're saying. Nor are we saying 
guys don't need love and women don't need to, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying we need to understand these things. Can I, can I get real vulnerable with you for a second? <laughs> I feel like I'm getting ready to go out on a limb and you're going to have a saw if you want to cut it off, you can. I had a realization for me in learning about myself uh, when I got married, and that is something I learned about myself is, man, one of the ways I really do feel love is, is through respect. Now, as I say those words, I don't mean, at least I hope, hope I don't mean, it's a chest out, Cindy fallen line, you know, give me respect type way. That's not what I'm talking about. Ego trip, like at least I hope not, right? But I but I've, I've learned about myself that that's something that really, really matters to me, whether that's because I'm a dude or because I'm David. I don't, I don't know. But for those of you who know me, I hope that makes more sense. And I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm out on The other thing I'll say, and I, while I'm already out there, I'll just stay out there, is I have found that when Cindy and I ever get into a tiff, one of the ways I am often tempted to just like give it to her is by withholding emotional connection or love in that way. I'm not, that's more of a confessional as I say that. Um, and by the way, as I've been a pastor uh, and had a lot of conversations doing counseling, as I've been a pastor and I've talked to a lot of other pastors and just gotten a whole bunch of anecdotal data, if you will, I have found that by and large, that tends to be the case. Uh, is it always the case? Is it only, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying on the whole, Paul is saying we will do ourselves a service to understand that we tend to be Wired this way. We need to think about these things. Okay, so how are we to understand these foundational tools of, of love and respect? You know what Paul says in a way? He says, I love this. Look to Christ's example. So you start to understand what it means, wives submit, as it means uh, husband's love, which we're going to get into now. Look to Christ's example. So Christ is all over this text. Like everywhere. He's just, I mean, in verse 21, submit out of reverence to Christ. Wives submit as uh, to your own husbands in, 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 in deference of thinking about Christ. Uh, we need to look to Christ's examples. We understand these things for ourselves and what it means for us to live out. Uh, as you look to Christ's example, there's probably no better place when it comes to uh, submit and, and respect to look at Philippians chapter 2. Uh, because in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is referencing, he, he had just referenced, okay, Christian brothers and sisters, you need to look to others' interests before your own. In a similar way, talking about what we're talking about today, at the high level at least. And in fact, I often, well, sometimes I'll look at Philippians 2 at a, in a wedding ceremony because it's like, if there's any relationship, Christian relationship needs to look to the others' needs uh, before our own, it's, it's, it's marriage. But he makes that thought, look to the interests of, interests of others before yourself, serve the other. And then he says this, points to Christ. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm going to keep reading here, but just look at this beautiful picture of Jesus, for instance, submitting to the Father, respecting his wishes. By the way, for what purpose? For the sake of loving us, caring for us. Jesus, equal in power, glory, honor, perfectly the same with the Father, said, you know, I can use all these advantages to myself and serve my needs, but I'm going to cast those aside for the sake of what we decided together I'm going to do. It's just beautiful dance. And check out how this dance keeps playing out. That, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Look at this. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go for this. This is what I'm going to do. And God the Father says, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to give you a name above every other name. In short, women, wives, through Ephesians 5, God is inviting you into a Christ role. Not a role of inferiority, not in a role of somehow lesser, but nothing less than the divine Christ role. By the way, husbands, your turn. God invites you and me into a Christ role. He says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I was talking to a buddy even just last night. He said he was working through this text with his premarital counselor. And the guy looked at him and said, just so we're clear, saying to the husband, your part is harder. Love as Christ loved and gave himself up, died for the church. You need to love to the point of laying down your life for your wife. Um, you know what makes me really angry, and I imagine uh, many of you, is the fact that this text has been so often misinterpreted, misused, and frankly abused over the years, is just cherry-picking just a couple of verses completely out of its context and not even understanding that. So for instance, it, basically how this text, at the high level, characterization of, 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 the, of the idea here is to say, you know what this means? Mainly it's dudes doing this, right? It means wives just got, the guy's the head of the household, the authority figure, and so wives just need to fall in, serve every need and whim, right? That's kind of the characterization of it. But not only does that miss what Paul's actually saying, it also doesn't take into account what he goes on to say to the husbands. Lay down your life. And so if you're saying, or in, in your living saying, in the practical living it out, if you're saying, I'm the authority figure, by the way, look, it says, the husband's ahead of, head of the wife. If you're doing that, Paul's saying to you, okay, you want to talk authority? You want to talk what it means to be authority? Look to Christ. How did he live out his authority? He laid his life down to serve. Uh, we looked at Philippians 2 to talk about submission and respect, what that could look like. Let's look now to John 13 in terms of what this could look like for the husband's. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's that word, loved. Husbands, love your wives. By the way, this is just hours before he would be arrested and ultimately crucified. Like it's, it's on the eve of that. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and said, I'm the authority figure, serve me. No. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. After he had washed their feet, it says, he had fit, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you 
also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. How did Jesus, the head of the church, in giving us an example of what it means to be a head in the household, which we'll break down here more in a second, how did he live that out? He lived it out by saying, I'm going to use this for the sake of serving. Are we, are we tracking this? Uh, therefore, men, husbands, he's saying your call is to lead out in serving your wives to the point of even laying down your life for her for the sake of not looking at life as what's in it for you, but what's in it for her and what's in it for the marriage. Be, be thinking about, if anything, leading out in that sense. Uh, this is a David thought. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work through my own mind, like what does it mean to be the head of the house and, uh, you know, in terms of head, of head of the wife and that sort of thing. I'm trying to figure, I've thought about this for a lot of years. Is this helpful, Grave? It's not. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand this as best I can. Here, here's what it seems to me when it says uh, the husband is ahead. It seems to me that, that when it comes down to it, the husband's called to break an impasse, to, to break an impasse. That's, all. That's what it kind of seems like to me. Uh, to give you an idea of kind of how I've come to this thinking is uh, one time I was, I don't know how this occasion arises. It's kind of funny when I think about how this came, but I, was, I somehow was around an, uh, a more mature guy who's older than I am, uh, very strong independent woman uh, who just happened to read this text when I was there. I don't know. I didn't be like, hey, let's read this text. Like, I don't know how this happened, but she read this text and I was just like, kind of urged, like, okay, how's she going to interpret this? What, what does she see? By the way, she's a new believer. So she's just like trying to understand all these things. So we got done with it. I was just like, what, what do you think? She said, this makes perfect sense. I'm like, it does. Okay. How so? She said, well, at the end of the day, as I see it, somebody has to be responsible for making the final call. Like if there's two people who are married, at some point, someone has to kind of, it wasn't quite these words, but like break the impasse. To give you an example, and I'm always shy to give examples, especially sermons like these, but to give you an example, it's like, by the way, I had to scratch my brain to think of an example of what we're talking about here because Cindy and I aren't just like going through life of like, I'm the head, I've made up a decision, let's go carry this out. We're talking about things. We're praying about things. You better believe you've heard Cindy preach and talk. You know, she's far smarter than I am. That's not even a humble like thing there. It's like, so if I'm not like going with what she's saying more times than not, like I'm not thinking the best of the marriage, right? So, okay. So we're constantly thinking about praying, about having conversations, um, you know, trying to play it out. I'm like, where's the place, an example of maybe this played out? Okay. Here's an example that came to me. Maybe this is good. Maybe it's not. Cindy's like, where are we going? <laughs> when we were in China, uh, we, when we, so we lived two years in China. We originally went there and thought we were going to be there a year, maybe two years. And we ended up about the two year mark thinking, wow, I think we're going to be here like indefinitely. Like it's like Cindy was starting to pivot into the nonprofit sector after starting the e-commerce for Gap there. I came across this like kind of cool expatriate job. We were kind of like, we had, we had gotten pregnant planning to raise, you know, now Caleb there. And we're thinking about that. All that happened right at the time when we sadly found out uh, Cindy's dad came down with uh, unexpected late-stage cancer. And so we're just trying to figure all that out, right? And we're like, do we, the, the, the crux of our conversations were around, do we stay here and just pour into staying here and just pivot to that life, or do we go back? And everybody was telling us, all the experts were saying, probably not a lot of months to live, that sort of thing. And we're just, Cindy and I, you, you, you wouldn't believe how many walks we went on, prayer, just trying to figure this out. And frankly, a part of me was like, my prayer was like, Lord, would you please just tell us which way to go? Because I didn't, like, I didn't know how to make this decision. Is that making sense? Like, Lord, please just, and it's like nothing. So we felt together collectively the Lord was giving us freedom to go either way. 
That's, that's what we felt. It's like, okay, well, just as long as we make this unto, unto him, we just feel. So at one point, I went into uh, the pastor's office who was hiring me to be come on that uh, onto that church as, as staff. By the way, this would be one of two pastors there where it's very hard to get a pastor to kind of sign up to live in China. It's really hard to get a, he was like really looking forward to me coming on and serving there. Is that, does that make sense? Not because I'm like a phenom pastor, just because I'm a warm body who could pastor. You know, like that's, I mean, we became good friends and stuff like that. But you get the point. Like he was invested in this. And at one point, I laid out all the pieces. He said, David, husband to husband, you've got to go back. You've got to go back. He's like, if you don't, sorry, if you don't, if you, Cindy and you guys are only have this much time with her dad, you're never going to get that back. You've you got to go. And hey, I didn't come back and say, Cindy, I've come down from the mountain and I've got a decision. <laughs> right? I, I, said, I said, Cindy, I think the Lord wants us to go back. She said, okay. I think that's what we're talking about. By the way, let me just insert here. I think the point of this text is to work it out for yourselves. Figure out the love and care, what this means for you guys. That's, by the way, why I'm a little shy of doing examples. Like, I don't want the example. I don't want you to hear that and be like, all right, we're going to go do that. It's interesting. Cindy and I were kind of like kind of playing this back and forth. I I don't think it has, like, Cindy's thought was like, we don't see this in like happening in the micro decisions. Like, if you're like, you know, that'd be kind of weird. Like, all right, well, maybe it's not weird. I don't know. But I just... I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. Is this this making sense? You got to work it out for yourselves. Try to understand it. Uh, Paul goes on to say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself, uh, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I think what he's saying there is husbands in your role as husband in the marriage, look for ways to build her up to set her up, to develop her gifts, empower her for growth, and carry out purpose. Are you, are you seeing that? Now, does that mean, therefore, wives, you ought not do that for your husbands? I don't think so. I think what Paul's probably doing is, hey, husbands, do I have your attention? If I do, hey, be thinking about setting up your wife, loving, serving, empowering her. There are the foundational tools that Paul gives us, God through Paul, gives us for an enduring and growing marriage. Wives submit, respect, husbands husbands love and give your life up. Uh, But what does this look like in the real world? I told you that I'm not too fond of doing examples, okay? Um, And part of the reason why I don't want to do examples is because the the scriptures don't necessarily give us examples. And I think think the wisdom behind that is if the scriptures gave us examples, so when you come home from work, do this. If we had those, we'd probably just gleam to that and miss the whole point, the principle. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a compromise. I'm going to use a very down-to-earth example to make a principled thought. That's what I'm going to try to do here, okay? I came across an article a couple weeks ago. This was, had nothing to do with this message, but it, I just thought it was so cool. Um, the, this is such clickbait, but it said, she divorced me because I left the dishes by the sink. Click. I, I was like, that's interesting. I'm going to click on it. And, uh, you know, as I started to read that, I thought he, he immediately understands what was probably going to be elicited as you, like, read that title. He immediately addresses that. He says, look, if you think I'm getting ready to just dog on my ex-wife and just talk about her pettiness for leave, my, me leaving the dishes and leading to divorce, that's not this article. This article is actually a polar opposite of that. 
I'm like, that's interesting. I'll keep reading, you know. And he kind of laid out like the situation. He was this guy who always left a couple of cups by the side of the sink, never in the sink, always by the side of the sink, didn't go into the dishwasher, just always by the sink. And the wife just at first was just like, come on, man, get it in the sink. And just little by little, started from being annoyed to like being bothersome to becoming a big thing. And his whole rationale, he laid it out, was like, man, if you want to put it in the, in the dish, you know, the thing, you can put it in the sink. It's like, that's all right. And he's also, I'm, but I'm going to also reuse the cup. So it's like, I was thinking, I'm just going to like, when I'm done with it, I'll put it. Okay, I'm not even, see, it's a problem with going to examples. Like even just sharing the examples, like, all right, you can start. But he eventually gets to the place where he says this. He says, the, the, what I learned too late, though, is the issue wasn't so much about the dishes. It was, that, it was a lack of love and respect on my part. He said this, there's only one reason I will... I would only ever stop leaving that glass in the sink. And by the way, it's not because he finally decided it was the right thing to do. He said, the lesson I learned too late is that I would do it because I love and respect her. And it really matters to her. All of a sudden, it's not about something as benign and meaningless as a dirty dish. Now it's a meaningful act of love and sacrifice. And really, four seconds that doesn't seem like the kind of thing too big to do for the person who sacrifices daily for me. I want to be real clear. I'm not bringing up this example to say, if you're the dude and you leave the dishes, you never put them in. And if you're the girl, yeah, I'm not, that, that's not what we're talking about here. What I want to draw out is I think what Paul is saying is we need to come to the conclusion earlier before it's too late in this guy's words that we are called to serve the other. Whether we are him in that example or the wife in that example, we are called to serve, love, put ourselves next to the other. Okay, a couple takeaways, and we're going to try to do this real quickly. Two, if there's anything here today, I would say it would be these two things, although whatever the Lord puts on your heart is more important. Uh, number one, the teaching of Ephesians 5 is for you, not them. <laughs> you tracking what I'm saying there? I think this is a temptation of a lot of sermons, especially sermons in relationship series. You go, oh my goodness, I'm so glad so-and-so is here to listen to this. Put a multiplier on it for this sermon. If you're thinking, oh, I'm so glad my husband's hearing. You know what I mean? That he needs to do this. Maybe even elbowed. I haven't seen any of that. So if you did that, it's not personal. My, my point is, Paul is saying, wives. And then he's saying, husbands. Meaning, He's saying, put blinders to the other. This, this is for you. Husbands, only concern yourself with verses 25 through the first part of 33. Women, you could choose, and by the way, verse 21 on top of that, husbands. And then wives, 22, don't, don't, don't go later this week, say, pastor said you need to, you know, yeah, I don't even want to finish that sentence. <laughs> right? Yeah. If, if, if you and I are doing that, we are completely, not only missing the point, we're taking it the opposite direction of what is intended. Are you, are you tracking that? We are called to serve, and to the extent we feel called to serve, it is a free gift offering of love when we do this for the other. Does that make sense? And so the minute we start demanding that or expecting or kind of whatever is the minute we have completely lost it. We are called to serve out of free gift. By the way, first and foremost, in that unto God and then to them. Does that make sense? Okay, this teaching is not for, it's not for them. It's for, it's for you. It's for me. And then number two, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Uh, in the middle of describing Christian marriages, Paul, I feel like he almost subconsciously does something he doesn't realize. He has to kind of 
wake himself up to it. He's talking about husbands loving your wives and kind of going into that. And he's talking about all these different ways we've kind of talked about it. And and then he says this, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. It's like, Paul was like talking about uh, wives and husbands, specifically husbands. And all of a sudden he's like, wait, wait, I'm actually talking about Jesus and his love for the church. We must look to Christ. Uh, it was years ago that I fi- it, it finally occurred to me that the Bible actually begins and ends with weddings. You know, Genesis, the first few pages of the book, that's a, that's a wedding there. You know, God the Father bringing Eve to Adam and a- Adam just breaking into song and poetry like, this is cool. By the way, we're reenacting that in Christian weddings today. I, you know, one of the fun things as, a, as an officiant is I get to like watch everybody take it all in and I'm up there with the, with the groom. And one of the fun things, and now I'm going to like key a lot of you guys onto this. Uh, one of the really fun things to do is I, I've noticed there's always a few people who will, as the bride, so when the bride's coming down, all eyes are on her. There's like, it's, it's impossible not to do that, right? But then there'll be eyes who are like, check out like the husband checking out. You, you tracking? It's like, and, and I think that's also a reenactment. You know, Adam, he's like, I don't, this is amazing. It's like, it's kind of a similar thing. The first few pages is a wedding. The last few pages of the Bible, book of Revelation, is a, is a kicking off of a wedding feast. When Christ, our groom, comes to be wedded, essentially, to his bride, all those who've put their faith in him. I am no theologian, but if I were to guess, if I were to say what the greatest analogy of God's love for us that we could use, it, or at least he uses, I think it's the one of a love with husband and wife vice versa. It's love of marriage. Because in the first few pages of the scriptures, God essentially made vows with us. You know these vows repeat up in front of the altar? I will be faithful to you and you alone, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health. God essentially made those vows with us. I I will be your God and I will be faithful to you and you alone. And we said, oh, we love you. What you made us. Are you kidding? We're going to be faithful to you and you alone. We'll be your people. The problem is you don't have to read too far into the Bible to realize we didn't keep our side of the vows. You know, so much of the Bible is about us breaking them. So much of our own life. I mean, that's really a picture of sin. God made us, made us how to, how to follow him, live, live faithfully for him, and we just took it in other directions. But the gospel is God did not choose to say, you know what, you didn't have to keep your vows, so I'm done with you. The gospel is, the good news is he sent his son to come into this life to die for us to respect you and me when we are disrespectful to him and not loving him, just taking him for granted. To love us sacrificially when we never rarely do the same for him. He came to love and submit for the sake of you and me being brought into being the bride of Christ. And so what does this mean? It means when you're thinking about this actually playing out in your lives, the secret to all of this is to look to Christ. Let's be real. Everything we're talking about today is, I'll go and say it, almost impossibly hard. (laughs) But Christ did the impossibly hard for you and me. Therefore, when we look to his example and what he's done to us more fully and realize we can begin to offer that to our spouse as a free gift, first and foremost, to the one who's done it for us, then to him. Let's pray. Father, what a gift of scripture in that really as it does all, as all other scriptures do, it really points us ultimately not so much to what we need to do, but what you have done for us 
and as a result, call us into. Lord, we love only because you first loved us. Thank you that this wonderful, oft misunderstood teaching is not one you just give us in a vacuum, but one you fully embodied in every sense. And on the cross, when you could have divorced us, you remained not only upholding your vows to us, but upholding our broken vows on our behalf. And so we, we love you so gracious. Father, would you please, please forgive us when we don't get this right? And would you please, please, please protect, bless, and strengthen marriages here at Current? We first and foremost need your help in this, but we also need each other. So Lord, would you help us to do that? Pray this on Jesus' name. Amen.